Romans 5, beginning to read at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We know the Lord will bless that portion of his own word read this evening in public. But let's just buy again in another word of prayer. Thank you, Father, that indeed you walk with us and you talk with us. We thank you, Lord, that you guide us every day and lead us on further in you. We pray now, Lord, that this evening that everything would be totally turned over to your Spirit and that he would move upon us, that he would move among us, that he would have the free course to speak to every heart. Glorify the name of Jesus tonight. We lift him up and may we speak well of him. Anoint us, we pray, to the glory of his name. Lord, we think of the youth down in the building having their own service tonight. We think of those who will play and sing and minister in song. We think of those who will come in and sit under the sound of ministry, of the preaching and teaching of the word. We think of the leaders and the teachers of the youth. And we're praying, Lord, when they're all there together tonight, would you bless them? Would you speak to their hearts and help them? Would you teach them? We pray, Father, if there is a young soul that has wandered in or been invited in or come along with someone, we pray in Jesus' name that you would reach them tonight and save them for time and for all eternity. So glorify your name in this place. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Tonight, we want to speak on the subject or the topic, the atheist's post. The atheist's post. Some time ago, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I read a social media site. There was a post put up on a Christian group. And it was intended to, um, it was intended to offend the Christians on the group. And it caught my eye, and many Christians were going on to this post. Some were trying to give a defense for God. And some were offended, and almost you could feel their hurt behind it. Uh, I don't do arguments online ever. I used to, and I wasted too many hours, so I don't do anymore. And I haven't for a long time. So I said nothing, because when I looked at it, I realized this man 
does he even realize what he's saying? So this purported espoused atheist puts up this post and this post was supposed to cause concern and even doubt to the Christian and hence to cause them hurt and upset to the reader of the said post. Now as unnecessary and as blatant as this post was to offend the Christian, what this post did do was to show and a number of replies that even many Christians didn't know what they were saved from or where they were saved to. Some of the answers coming trying to, and they are trying through the simplest of terms and some even the complex of terms to try and explain the post. But rather I thought this man is almost, although slightly wrong, almost preaching the gospel to himself and to even the Christians who read it. Many Christians would doubt at such a thing who are less in, lesser in, uh, in time in their faith. And in fact, little did he know that while he was in his own finite mind and understanding, little did he know that he was putting up some of the, partially of the truth of God's word, God's plan of redemption. Little did he realize he was speaking and he was telling of a hidden reality that many people know nothing about or do not understand. Notice here, here is the content, the content of the post. Simple, short, but it caught me and I thought, well, maybe I need to bring that and show something on this in church. The post read, God sacrificed himself to himself to save us from himself. I'll read it again. God sacrificed himself to himself to save us from himself. Now, if the man was in all truth meaning that, he had everyone thinking that he was intelligent enough to write that, to post that. But really what he didn't realize was that some people would know or have heard that before. God sacrificed himself to himself to save us from himself. A man called Matt Delahunte, a well-known atheist, he penned that. And this was plagiarized from his book. This was plagiarized by this atheist who posted it up. He didn't give any credit to the author. So let me be clear this evening. The post was right, yet the post was wrong. And we'll look at it this evening. The post was wrong in this sense. God did not sacrifice himself, but rendered better would be the Father sacrificed his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to Christ's hypostatic union, being fully God and fully man, come down as the bread of heaven. The hypostatic union is the eternal God becoming flesh. So in a sense, God did. He sent his son, and in a sense, his son was sacrificed. And the man was half right. And Christians were up in arms saying, 
Oh, God didn't sacrifice himself, even maybe to himself. Some thought he did. To save us from himself. Some thought he did. And the problem with it was this, brothers and sisters, tonight. Yes, God, he came in the person of his son. And he sacrificed his son on the cross. Being God, he tasted death for us. But this is where the Christian even went wrong. Missed the mark completely. Many of them were coming on and saying, listen, God didn't sacrifice his son to save us from himself. The atheist was right and the Christian was wrong. God loves us and God just came to save us, many said. And again, the atheist was right. God sacrificed his son to save us from himself. And we miss that. Because God has become some big daddy in the sky who answers all prayer all the time, every way, who loves unconditionally and has no judgment or wrath. All of us were lost and in our sin and under wrath and judgment. And God did send his son, sacrificed his son. His son freely gave himself up in order to save us from himself. And Christians miss it all the time. The world can't see it at all whatsoever. That you and I would have stood before God in judgment and wrath. And God had to save us. And the only one he could send was his only begotten beloved son. And the only one who could redeem us with his own precious blood was the Lord Jesus, his one and only son. To save us from himself. So let me be clear tonight. We must not lose what is known as the hypostatic union of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has two natures. He's the only man with two natures. We hear much today of different personalities in one person. They're one thing one day and they're one thing the next day. They identify as this and they identify as something else. It's not two people living in Jesus. It's two natures. One is human and the other is divine. One is human and the other is divine. Fused but not confused. Intertwined one with the other in unity as one. In the spirit with his father. Human vessel. And human frame. God sacrificed himself to himself to save us from himself. And the, uh, this simple line, it went absolutely crazy. I know that someone who likes to argue would come on and simply say, let me reword that. God the Father. Send God the Son. 
to die for sinners like us, to save us from the Father's wrath. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 9. But we, the redeemed, the blood washed, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Listen, for the suffering of death. He, the word of the Father, he who is in glory with God and is God, He who had the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim and all the beasts of heaven around him, glorifying him, was made a little lower than the angels. A little lower than the created beings of heaven. Think about this. The centerpiece of heaven. The centerpiece of glory. The centerpiece of all time and eternity. The centerpiece the Lord Jesus Christ. The centerpiece, the Word of God, the Word of the Father, who was with God and is God, says John. He who was worshipped in glory, worshipped by all who are there, all the creation of heaven. You know, we want to say, we want to go to heaven and we want to see, oh, someone want to see our loved ones who have went on in faith and we want to be in the same glory with them. We want to look at mom and dad or brothers and sisters or grandparents or, and look and that's good some want to see the, the golden streets I, I believe it's just given us that we would understand it I believe it's even greater than that the golden streets and pearly gates and, and so forth we want to see the tree of life and the great river flowing through it. and again I believe it's symbolical of things that we will understand it's things in heaven or things we can't understand nor comprehend But yet we think of them, we say we want to see this and see that. And someday we'll talk with Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We'll see Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. You can ask them about the lion's den. We'll see the prophets. You can sit down with Peter and James and John. And you can maybe meet, we'll meet Paul, the apostle. And we'll be able to talk to them. And go through things in the by and by. And we'll see this and that and the other. And we can go through all of these wonderful things. But brothers and sisters, the one thing that I want to see is the one who swallows up all of glory is the person of the Son of God. I want to see Jesus. Christ in the center of all things. He left the center of glory. And he came a little lower, made a little lower than those who worshipped him. Think about it. The angels that worshipped him. Isaiah 6, Isaiah says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above us stood the seraphims, each one having six wings, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, crying for the glory of Christ, exalting him and lifting him up. But he was made a little lower than the angels. He was given a body of flesh, a body thou hast prepared of me, he says. He was given a body of flesh. 
The Hebrew writer says, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Think about it. He came all the way to a body of flesh made lesser or lower than the angels as a human. The hypostatic union of divinity and humanity. And he came to die on a rugged cross for you and for me. He came to shed his blood. He was the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of the Father. And why? Because you and I were under wrath. You and I were all under wrath. And none could help us. And none could save us. None could rescue us. But he stepped down from glory. And he came down to a manger. And he walked the scene of time. And there he had a sinless life. There he had a miraculous ministry. But there he went to the cross. And he shed his blood that we might be redeemed, that we might be saved. Brothers and sisters, would you say amen? Amen. What a Christ. What a Christ. What a Savior. What a Lord. What a King we serve. What a God. What a champion we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, God in Christ, that he should taste death for every man. God in Christ did not die. Notice, God did not die, but he who died was God. But he who died was God. Listen to Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, listen, smitten of God. He was smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord have fled on him the iniquity of us all the father laid on his son the father sent his son the father laid on his son the iniquity of us all And Isaiah 53 and verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Think about this. It pleased the Lord to bruise his son. It pleased the Lord to send him to Calvary. It pleased the Father that his son would give his life's blood. It pleased the Father there would be nails in his hands and in his feet. There would be a crown of thorns upon his brow. And the Father says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Lambs and bulls and goats appeased the Father. The blood of those animals appeased in the old covenant. But then in the new, praise his holy name. The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am not appeased, I'm well pleased. The Father is well pleased with the sacrifice of the Son. The Father is well pleased with the sacrifice of Christ giving His own life for us. Yes, the Father did in a sense as God sacrificed Himself 
to save us from himself. Because we forget that we were all under the wrath of God. We needed saved and we couldn't save ourselves. Notice here, if you will, the Father sent her and gave him. And the cross work of Christ, that is the cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he accomplished and what he did on the cross was not the slaughter. I want you to hear this now because please don't get me wrong. The cross work of Christ was not the slaughter of an unconscious, reluctant victim. But an intelligent act of the highest spiritual obedience toward God and an act of the highest spiritual love toward man. The highest act of spiritual obedience toward God was found in Christ. But the highest act of spiritual obedience of love was found in him toward us. Toward man. Listen to Psalm 65 and verse 2. I mentioned uh, a verse this morning when Jesus said on the cross and cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, uh, which being interpreted as my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And even Luther and different people throughout the Reformation as well would have said, can God forsake God? How do we work this out? Can God forsake God? Surely God cannot forsake himself. God cannot forsake God. Psalm 65 and verse 2 says, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee will all flesh come. On the cross of Calvary, the man of the hypostatic union of God and man cried through the flesh, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the term there, why have you forsaken me? Uh, in Catalopi, I think if I remember the name word right. And this is what it means. Why have you abandoned me? It means to leave in the street, to leave someone in dire need, to walk away from them when they needed you most. The son saying, through the body of flesh, using the vocal cords of a divine human, why have you forsaken me, Father? Why have you left me in a street here? On the cross. Brothers and sisters, you see, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, Paul writes to it that God was in Christ. Now, he wasn't in Christ the way he's in you and in me by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. It means God Himself was infused in every fiber of the being of the Son of God, birthed through the virgin's womb of the Holy Ghost. In other words, he's the God-man. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Notice, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. This is the word of reconciliation tonight. To reconcile men and women back to God. 
Notice, not imputing their trespasses. See that little word imputing while we're here? It gives the idea to count up. You count, your, you count all your money, brother, sister. You're in the house and you've all your millions and you're on the table there. Big piles that height. You're counting all your money out. You pile it up and you pile it up and you pile it up. My pile's about that height. Some of you are that height. The idea of it. That because of him, the only saviour, the only one that can redeem us, God is not counting up the sins of Ken Davidson. And I've had many sins in my past. I still have many sins in my present. And I'm sure there will be others in the future. But God does not count them against me. Because God, in a sense, sacrificed himself unto himself that he may redeem Ken Davidson unto himself. Listen, you might say, I have a past. can't get rid of it and I can't shake it. And I'll say to you tonight, and I said in the grace of God and the love of God, join the club. There's a lot I have to try and forget. Even when the devil tries to stir it up and bring it up, I still have to put it down. Move away from it. If you're saved, that is. Notice here, if you will, in Colossians 2 and verse 9, the apostle says, For in him, the beloved Son, in him dwelleth or has settled. It gives the idea of you coming and moving in and you know you get all your furniture right and you just move into your house and the first time you're sitting down you go, so we're settled. You don't want to move again. I moved, what, just over two years ago and I don't want to move until they carry me out in a box because it was terrible. God Settled completely in him. He's the resting place. He's the ark of the covenant. Where the ark, the glory came down upon the ark. He is the ark. He is the throne of glory where God's glory settles and dwells permanently. Christ is all of this. For him, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. Another Greek rendering is in him, that is in the Lord Jesus, has settled all the fullness of deity. So why did Jesus die? In 1 Corinthians 15 and 3 tells us that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Notice, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So he died for our sins. Of course he did. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for our sins. Once suffered. 
the once was enough will never be repeated again. For Christ hath also hath once suffered for our sins. Listen, the just for the unjust. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh. God cannot die. But he who died was God. Infused with deity. God tasted the death in the person of his son. Being put to death in the flesh. But quickened by the spirit. In other words, quickened by the eternal spirit of God. The Holy Ghost himself. Made alive it means. Here's one for you. Who did Jesus die for? Short and sweet? Well, we'll start short and sweet, will we? He died for the elect. You know why sometimes, and I've, I've done it too, like, so I'm not, this is not condemnation. Why sometimes we would say, Preachers would say, gospel mission especially, would say, you know, um, that if you come, he that cometh unto me, Jesus says, I will in no wise cast out. It's not right. He that cometh unto me, Jesus says, I will in no wise cast out. Come to Jesus. And look, I, I, that's fine. I, I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. But that, that's the end of the verse. That's the end of the verse. Jesus said at the beginning of it, all that the Father hath given to me shall come unto me. And him that cometh unto me, I will no ways cast out. He says, now, that's John 6, 37, I think, if my memory's right. All that the Father's gave to me will come to me. And him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. That's the difference. When Jesus broke bread and drank from the cup, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took the cup saying, this is a cup of my blood which is shed for every, no, he said shed for many. For many. Brother, if you're saved tonight, sister, if you're saved tonight, you should be rejoicing that you're one of the many, that you're one of His, that the Father had given you unto His Son, and the Son came and died on your behalf. Oh, whenever I think about it, I could stand on my head and spit nickels. Rejoicing at the goodness of God. The glories of Christ. That he would come for a miserable wretch like me. Well, how do I know if he died for me? You're going to have to come to the Father, aren't you, through him? If the Spirit bids you come, you come. I know we like to sing the song. Well, we don't sing it, thankfully. 
But others like to sing the song. There's a new name written down in glory when a sinner gets saved. No, there's not. Be better writing and singing. There's a new name ticked off in glory because it was already there from before the foundation of the world. The sovereignty of God. Sovereign will of God. Do you know why he died? The Lord Jesus. To save you and I from himself. I'm telling you. I could stop there and start kicking that over and spinning around and jumping for joy. The thought that he would come for a miserable wretch like me. So in our in our reading tonight, Romans 5, and verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. That's me. The term here, without strength, it's a word, athenos, asthenos. It's a strange wee word because it just means simply what it says or else without strength or it means to be feeble or weak. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, Paul writing, he says, of those who speak of Paul. Paul's heard what the congregation has said. And he's writing it down. This is what the Corinthians said about him. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. In other words, you get these big powerful letters and you can feel the sense of the anointing and the revelation of God on them. But when Paul turns up, he's a wee squirt with a baldy head. Not looking at anybody in particular, by the way. I'm going this way. Some started laughing. I went, no, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> The same weakness. He looks weak, but the spirit on him was mighty. The anointing upon him was strong. And it's the same word, Christ died for us, for the ungodly, or when we were without strength, Christ died for us. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak and be patient with all men. In other words, there are those who, they're frail. They can't handle a lot. Get around them. Comfort and strengthen them. It's the same word. When we were without strength, when we were spiritually weak, when we were frail, unable to save ourselves under the Father's wrath, God looking throughout all the annals of heaven, throughout eternity, right into time, could find none. None worthy, none able, none could come. But God sent His Son to save us from Himself. 
Let me ask you something, brother, if you're a father here tonight. See Stephen and Caroline with the children there. And see Wendy with Elijah. And we could go on here, some of the other kids down here. Let me ask you, as I'm a father, if you had an enemy and you knew one day you were going to be able to crush them, going to judge them guilty for their life before you and all that they've done against you, their hatred and their spinning toward your face, they're vulgar and they're vileless toward you. And you knew that one day was coming when you'd get the chance to say guilty. And the penalty was a lake of fire. And you looked around and says, look, if there's another way out of this, and you could find nobody worthy, because everyone else was the same. And you looked and seen your child. You looked and seen your child. Would you send your child to a rugged cross for those who hate you? Would you have the grace? I mean the grace. To give up your own, your beloved. To send them for that enemy, for that hater of you. I don't think I could ever do that. It's being honest. You look at your child beside you, if they're here tonight, and you think of this. Could you? I couldn't. I couldn't find that grace yet. And the grace of God, He sent Him. sent them to the cross as it were turned away from him when the cries were my God my God why have you forsaken me and all you're doing is saving that enemy from yourself Romans 5 and 6, Paul says, we were yet without strength. It's the inability of man or woman to accomplish salvation on their own merit. Totally and utterly bankrupt. The depraved human nature, unable to lift our heads to heaven, unable to stick our hand up toward God and love toward him. But shaking a fist in anger is another thing. You know, Christ died for the ungodly, and it means the impious, wicked, irreverent man or woman who is destitute of all reverential awe toward God and one who shows contempt toward him. And again in our reading, we're told in verse 10, for if when we were enemies, the unsaved are the enemy of God. 
Those who are not Christ, they're the enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. Sin with importunity. Every possibility. I loved it, followed after it, chased after it. I drank it, I took it, you name it, I downed it. I loved it. And when people used to say in drug-fueled parties, and someone maybe mentioned something, I used to say, what a way to go to die in a place like this. And yet all the time, he had given me to his son. His son had shed his blood for me. And I didn't know it. I didn't know it. Until one day, under the sound of the gospel, the Holy Ghost points his finger and, as it were, quickens me with a prodding awakening. To behold the Lamb of God. To behold the love of Christ. To behold his cross work. To behold him hanging and bleeding and dying in an agony for me. And with irresistible grace, he drew me on. And he took me closer until I cried for mercy. Repented of my sin. And he forgave me at all. What a Christ. What a Savior. Verse 8, he says, for when we were yet sinners, thank God he did not wait to see if I could clean up my act, for I was too engulfed and overtaken and immersed in the sin of the world. But when I was yet a sinner and still an enemy, his son came to die for you and for me. The word sinners here, how mortal loss means being devoted to sin. And I know some of your testimonies. Others I don't know. And the testimonies I know, brother, sister, you were devoted to sin. You were devoted to sin. You cared not for Christ thought nothing of it, no conviction in our hearts, being dead in our trespasses and in our sins, no conviction before God. If there was a God, there is no God. But glory to God. One day, he found us bleeding and dying, as it were, on the Jericho Road, and he poured in the oil and the wine. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. I must close this. Notice in Romans 8 and verse 3 quickly. Listen to what Paul says. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Now take note of that. That sounds a bit of a conundrum, Paul. And what he's saying is the law trying to keep the law for salvation, showed us 
we can't be saved nor save ourselves through law-keeping. In fact, the law condemned us. The law shows us we're sinners. And being in sin without hope, without relief. But Christ came in the flesh. He was sinless. He was holy and harmless and undefined, separate from sinners now made higher than the heavens. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Keeping the law we couldn't keep and living a life we couldn't live and dying in our place instead and shedding His blood that we might be forgiven. And here Paul's telling us, the law says, Kansas sinner, guilty as charged. And it condemned me. But when Jesus came in the flesh, Jesus condemned that which was condemning me. And you. We have here sinful flesh. Romans 7, just across the page, please. And verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin. See that word motions of sin? Note the word motions gives the idea of someone that's been through abuse. The abuse that sin done in my life. The motions, the way it had with me, it took me on, destroyed me. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did our work in our mem- did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Here we have sinful passions brought us on in for our sinful passions under the wrath of the Father, under the wrath of God. I haven't time to go through of so much material here, but here's the thing. This atheist post was this. God sacrificed himself to himself to save us from himself. He's sort of right. And many Christians missed it. God did come to save us from himself. It's like God came because we're just poor sinners here. And God didn't like it. And the only way we could get to heaven if Jesus had a nice little death for us and we could all float off the glory. That's not what it says. We were enemies to God at enmity with God. We were under the wrath of God. And one day we would stand before God. And the only one that could come was his own son. So in a sense, God himself came to save us from himself. Close with this. In John 3 and verse 36, John writes, He who believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
In other words, if we do not believe that Jesus came and paid our debt, the wrath of God is still abiding on us. Remember the fullness of the Godhead dwells and is fully settled in Jesus? Well, here the abiding wrath of God, it gives the idea that, see, God is love. It's a character of God. It's an attribute of God. God sits, as it were, uh, God sits in the, uh, the very essence, the very state of love. And wrath is not an essence or a, 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 a something that God sits all the time in. But God is love. But God has wrath. And the minister stopped preaching it. Can you imagine some of those churches if they went and said, do you know that God sent his son from himself that he might redeem you to himself because he saved you from himself? There's not many willing to say that. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Would you say nature? nature. Would you say it again? Nature. You see, the word nature is the word phusis. Phusis. And it means lineal descent. It gives the idea to take on the germs off. And when Adam, the federal head of creative man, fell in the garden and sin brought forth death, and so sin entered upon all men, in our very nature, the very nature of us. And the idea is, Paul's saying, it's not about us cleaning up our act and God is pleased. It's not about us going to church. It's not about us doing good alms or works or deeds. It doesn't matter if we were in church every day. It doesn't matter if you went to a cave and you hid like a monk and you wore a hurry shirt upon your back and tortured yourself. It wouldn't matter if you climbed Crook Patrick on, on, on bare feet and knee over broken glass doesn't matter if you go to Calcutta and you work there for the rest of your life and you give of your life and of your time. All good works, maybe. But it means nothing for our salvation. It does nothing to save us. Paul says, our sin is in our very nature. We are by nature the children of wrath. Even as others, he says to the church, we were the same club as they were. But when Jesus came, he paid for all of my sin, even right to the core of my nature. And do you know that old nature sister you see in your husband sometimes? You know, you know whenever he hasn't been too happy about something and he maybe kicks a cat out of the road or something, you know, and slams the door. I hope you don't, brother. But just giving an example. You know, whenever he gets that, uh, your, your husband gets that angry nature, he maybe even 
you know, you don't like to be around him. That's the sin nature. That's the old man. And brother, if you're going to indulge in the dishes being through at you, that's the old woman. The rolling pin at you, maybe. I hope not, sister. That's the old woman. And that's the old man. That shouldn't be in a Christian's home or life. See, it's in our nature. And thank the Lord because we fail every day in one sense, shape, or form or other. Thank the Lord that he paid for it all. That we can repent of it. And in his grace, move on with God. So in a sense, the atheist post was right. And in another sense, the atheist post was wrong. And sometimes even God lets and uses the ungodly to speak a truth. I said this before and I'll definitely finish with this. Do you know, the, 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 the unspeakable name of God, we put it down as Jehovah or Yahweh. And Yahweh, uh, you see it written, the Y-H-W-H, and it's called the Tetragrammaton. That's what it's known as. And then with the vowels, no vowels in the Hebrew, you put the vowels in to make Yahweh. Even the vilest of sinners, even the most ungodly every day of their life are praising Yahweh. And they don't even know it. For here has been the study that in the breathing pattern of man and woman is the name of Yahweh. You go to the doctor and he says, take a deep breath in. And out. First breath of a child born from the mother's womb. And the child breathes in. It's speaking Yahweh. The last breath of the person going into eternity. That's the sound. Even they've looked at these things and it's Yahweh. They're spitting against God and they're still proclaiming. Even as you're sitting in your seat, you can't hear it. God is breath, you see. God is spirit. And the spirit means breath. Brothers and sisters, tonight, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on Calvary to redeem us, to save us from himself. From himself. God bless us tonight. God bless his word. There's a hush, isn't there? There's a quietness. And as we're all breathing, we're all calling on the name of Yahweh. Well, he's come up, please, in the team. God bless you.